Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites Basics, the paediatric podcast aimed at healthcare students or anyone in need of a refresher about common paediatric conditions. I'm Asim, one of the paediatric trainees here in Wales and one of the presenters for Dragon Bites. Each week, medical students will be joining paediatric doctors from Wales to discuss these common paediatric conditions and give them insights into paediatric problems that they may not have faced before. These episodes are just introductions and aren't meant to replace your regular revision. Remember, there will be some regional variations in practice and practice will change as new evidence comes to light. However, this is paediatrics made easy to help students get their head around some new concepts. This week, we're going to continue our episode on meningitis and meningococcal disease. Our host for this episode was Stephanie Windsor, and she was talking to paediatric registrar, Dr. Mega Jagger about this topic. If you haven't listened to last week's episodes, I strongly suggest going back and having a listen to that one first. Anyway, let's continue. Um, so if um, when sort of you're doing your investigations, um, um, you sort of come to the, the diagnosis and what are the sort of um, sort of management options? So if we talk about sort of like the, the immediate management first. Let's divide the t- treatment based on where the child is okay? yeah. and when you're suspecting meningitis um, or a meningococcal disease. If um, the child is in primary care and is mm-hmm. being seen by a GP, uh, the child has fever and the child has burburic rash. Uh, you are strongly suspecting meningococcal disease. Give a shot of intravenous or intramuscular benzyl penicillin. Call 999, send the ambulance, send the child to secondary care via the ambulance. Um, if you are in secondary care, you have got time in your hands, you have got child in a safe place, you can do your initial investigation, send the blood culture, send all the investigations, and then start them on antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Um, we divide the children into sort of um, two age groups, less than three months of age and three months and older. Um, we divide them into these two groups because the causes of meningitis um, uh, are different in these two age groups. Um, in less than three months, usually the um, infection is coming from um, sort of perinatal bacteria, for example, group B streptococci, um, Listeria meningitis, and gram negative bacilli, um, or E. coli, and stuff like that. And for those cases, we start them on kefotaxim and amoxicillin. Um, to cover for Lyseria. If the child is more than three months old, we start them on IV keftriaxone because we are covering meningococcus, pneumococcus, H. influenzae type B, those sort of organisms until we have the full results back from the blood culture or the CSF culture. Does that make sense so far? That does make sense. Um, I wanted to ask, um, would... um steroids also be used in certain situations absolutely that is a very very good point um so coming to the role of steroids then um in less than three months old um there is no role of steroids if the child is over three months 
there is a role of steroids only in limited um, conditions where um, if a lumbar puncture reveals frankly purulent CSF um, or if there are white cells that are more than 1000 white cells per microliter of your CSF sample or with the raised white cells in your CSF you see that the protein in the CSF is more than one gram per liter or if you can see bacteria on just on gram staining rather than on cultures um, when you have performed a lumbar puncture. These are the things uh, that you should look for when you're starting steroids in, in a child more than three months of age and you give dexamethasone. The important thing to know about starting steroids in a child with meningitis is that it should be given with the first dose of antibiotic or within the, within four hours of starting antibiotics, ideally. And if you haven't started the steroids within four hours of starting antibiotics, um, there is probably not enough role of steroids after about 12 hours of, of starting treatment. So if you haven't started steroids by 12 hours, there is probably no role of steroids unless the child is deteriorating. Okay, that's great. And is there any um, sort of thing else management-wise um, that we haven't gone over? Uh, yes, so we have talked about specific management, which means, you know, antibiotics that will cure the disease. Um, but um, there are other non-specific um, management, non-specific parts of the management which will be looked after depending on how the child is doing. For example, if the child is in septic shock, you might need to give them fluid boluses. Um, if the child's blood pressure is low, despite giving two or three or four fluid boluses, um, you might want to start them on vasoconstrictor medication, for example, adrenaline or noradrenaline. Um, um, you might want to move the child if the child is quite sick and very unwell uh, with their GCS um, deteriorating, um, you would want to put them in um, in an ICU. Um, you might there if their breathing is compromised, then you might want to control their breathing by putting and in, by intubating the child and putting them on a ventilator. Mm -hmm. um, so the rest of the management depends on how the child is doing and if the child is really really sick you will just start with ABC yeah. and go through it. Uh, the other important thing is that if you are seeing the child in an A&E, uh, in the recess in an A&E and you have given two fluid boluses of 20 ml per kilo, uh, you would like, you would want to call um, a pediatric intensivist to help you because this child will then need to go to an ICU environment. Um, thank you. That was um, explained very well. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit as well about um, the sort of potential complications um, for the child. Um, so, meningitis um, is the sort of disease um, that can affect children in long term. Uh, it can affect their long-term neurological condition, it can affect their sensory um, condition, it can also affect them psychosocially and it can affect their renal system. So this all comes from the pathophysiology of the disease and how the disease has affected the body. Um, 
we have noticed that uh, up to one in five, and this is, I'm quoting NICE guidelines now, up to one in five children who have been admitted with um, meningitis in a secondary or a tertiary care hospital, they get at least one or even more of the long-term sequelae from meningitis. Um, and, I, and I think this is an important, this is a very, very important issue parents and patients are not aware of during the initial period and they these these things just appear in the long term when we are following up those patients um, and that will also lead to the follow-up requirements of the child mm -hmm. in the long term um, because of those sequelae that we have talked about the child might need help from a renal consultant because of the kidney issues in the long term if the sepsis has affected their kidneys badly. Um, from the neurological sequelae point of view, they can have um, hearing problems, so they need formal audiological assessment af after discharge, after they have gotten better from the disease. Um, they can even develop um, partial or complete loss of um, movements of their body parts, um, like, um, for example, hemiparesis or um, speech issues or um, um, functional issues um, due to their due to the effects on the neurological system. Um, so yes, these are the long-term sequelae that we mostly see with meningitis. And um, you said that would um, patients sort of routinely get followed up or does it sort of depend on um, sort of each individual patient? Um, no, they routinely get followed up. Every patient with a confirmed um, meningitis um, should get um, an, a formal audiological assessment within four weeks of being fit to be tested. Mm -hmm. um, and if they are found or if they have developed severe or profound deafness, they should uh, be offered urgent assessment for cochlear implants. Mm -hmm. And they are always, always followed up by pediatrician within four to six weeks of discharge to see if there are any new complications that are arising mm -hmm. and to manage them effectively. The other important thing in the long-term management is that um, when the child is being discharged, we should always inform GP, school nurse and health visitor about their diagnosis because then they can also pick up on the long-term sequelae if they have been missed because they can sometimes be subtle to begin with. Yes, that's, that's, a, that's a very important point. Um, and I just wanted to talk sort of... Um, before we sort of finish, really, um, about the sort of prognosis um, of, of a child with um, meningitis. So from prognosis point of view, um, the one thing that I will say is if we diagnose it early, we mm -hmm. save the child. Yeah. Okay. Um, there have been figures um, that have shown that we lose one person a day with sepsis um, in NHS um, so I think early diagnosing early diagnosis and starting the treatment early is the key mm -hmm. and that is why it is said 
even in primary care, if you are suspecting meningitis, just give a shot of antibiotic and send them via ambulance. Mm-hmm. Um, just to give um, some help to the child during their passage from primary care to secondary care. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in regards to sort of prevention, we sort of touched upon it earlier um, about sort of vaccinations. Um, would that be sort of the main um, preventative measure, really? Yes, absolutely. Vaccination um, is the key. Um, and we have seen with, with vaccination, we have seen the rates of um, um, meningitis B and um, H influenza B infections come down so significantly in the UK uh, now that it is included in our national immunization schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, we have also recently added meningococcal A, C, W, and Y. Um, so all the other strains of meningococcal disease um, in the vaccination schedule for 14 years old, um, uh, which will also um, affect um, uh, and we will see the long-term um, improvement in um, sort of spread of the disease in the UK with the vaccination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um so I think that pretty much covers the topic today. Is there anything um, that you'd like to add sort of before we wrap up? Um, yes, I would just like to say that today we have covered um, meningococcal disease, which includes meningitis and septi- sepsis or septicemia caused by meningococcus. Um, we have um, talked about the specific signs and symptoms of the disease, the investigations that we perform with the disease and the management of the disease, including acute management and long-term management. Um, my key point to be taken away from today's talk will be listen to the gut feeling of two people, parents and yourself, the clinician. You will know if the child is unwell. No, definitely. Thank you. And is there anything that you would recommend um, for sort of students to sort of um, read or, or look up to find more information about this topic? Yes. Um, so two um, very good resources. Um, first one is, of course, the NICE guideline. It has summed it up very well um, in, um, in, the, in the topic of meningococcal meningococcal disease in children under 16 and on the e-learning for health um, there is a topic on sepsis in pediatrics that has also got loads of videos um, including safety netting advice referral bias history um, and examination for sepsis in pediatrics oh, that's great thank you that's something I'll, I'll definitely be um looking at um after this um so I think that pretty much um, covers um, the topic today. Um, I would just like to thank you so much, Mega, for um, taking the time um, to talk to us today um, and sort of thanking everyone for um, listening in on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And I just wanted to say thank you to both Stephanie and Mega for recording that episode for us. I think a key lesson to take away from this is the difference between meningitis and meningococcal disease. 
So just to reiterate Mega's points from the last episode, meningitis refers to infections that re result in the inflammation of the meninges, the lining around the brain that can be both viral or bacterial. Whereas meningococcal disease is a very specific term given to aseptosemia following infection from a meningococcal bacteria. And that can also have elements of meningitis involved with it. So you can also get inflammation of the meninges. Anyway, that's all for this week. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites Basics.